Welcome to the very first Ray Harryhausen podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacies of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's collection to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself from the archives. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions. So this podcast is a must-listen for all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. And welcome to episode 42 of the Ray Harryhausen podcast. And we have another unusual musical fan podcast or super fan podcast. For those of you who listened to CJ Ramon on episode 40, then you will have heard some wonderful insights into well-known people who enjoy Ray Harryhausen. And I'm delighted to say in this episode, we're speaking to Hugh Cornwall. Yes, the Stranglers, Hugh Cornwall. Um, he stopped by and spoke to Vanessa Harryhausen and for his own podcast too and asked her many questions about Ray Harryhausen and even discussed a special musical tribute he created. I'm joined as usual by collections manager Connor Heaney and Connor I think you have the inside scoop on how Hugh Cornwall came to the Ray Harryhausen archive. Yes that's right so as you mentioned John uh, Hugh is now a solo artist uh, after his, his his years with the Stranglers in the 1970s and 1980s, he he is now a, a solo recording artist as well as a, an actor and a writer and a podcaster. And uh, Hugh's latest album uh, was entitled Monster, and the title track of that album was a tribute to Ray Harryhausen. Uh, and we were obviously delighted to, to hear the song and hear Hugh's tribute to Ray. And we have to thank uh, our our conservator, Alan Friswell, because he was in touch with you. He's a, Alan's a big fan of the Stranglers, as, as am I. And uh, he, he got in touch with Hugh just to find out a little bit more about his fandom. And uh, Hugh then came up to Edinburgh to see our Titan of Cinema exhibition last November. So I was uh, privileged enough to, to show Hugh Cornwell around the exhibition and then uh, arrange for his interview with Vanessa the next day. So great to meet him, great to, always great, because I, I was lucky enough to show a few people around the exhibition, always great to see people's reactions to raise models. But uh, yes, Hugh, Hugh's podcast uh, is entitled Mr. DeMille FM, and I would encourage people to check it out. It's a, it's a movie podcast. Um, it's, uh, it's, I think they've got uh, 75 episodes now, each of which has a special theme. So it'll be focused on a particular actor or a particular genre or a particular filmmaker. And in this instance, this was his Ray Harryhausen special, uh, filled with music from race films or the films that influenced Ray. So you're about to hear an extract from the Mr. DeMille FM special, which was an interview with Vanessa Harryhausen uh, about her book, Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema, and a chat with Alan Friswell about co conserving and repairing Ray Harryhausen's model collection. Ray, you created a monster today. Ray, Will you let me see it one of these days? Is it a T-Rex? Is it a King Kong? No special effects. 
is it big and strong? It's in the garage, no undercarriage Across the ocean, a magic potion The Harry Houses can bring joy to hundreds of thousands Poetry in motion, right? Well, it's my great pleasure today to be sitting here with Vanessa Harryhausen, the daughter of the powerhouse of um, animation in cinema, Ray Harryhausen, who passed away a few years ago. And Vanessa has founded the foundation for Ray's work. And at the moment, uh, there's an exhibition on in Edinburgh, Edinburgh yeah. to celebrate his lifetime of work. So welcome, Vanessa. Thank you so much for the time to uh, sit down. My pleasure. Utter pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And what I'm interested to know about is um, you were in a complete unique place to witness the later part of your father's uh, body of work. Yes. So um, you were born in England, right? Correct, yes. In In London? London. Yes. And uh, whereabouts in London did you guys live? First of all, it was Cadogan Square behind oh, yeah. um, Harrods. Yes. And then we moved to just off High Street, Kensington, to yeah. Holland Park, around that area. Right. Ilchester Place. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and he used to have a studio in London in Shepherd's Bush, didn't he? Um, yeah, a, a, a while back. I remember he used, to, he used to go up there by bus and go and, um, go and work. Yeah. Go in every day on yeah. the bus. That's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, your father was a Native American born in Los Angeles, right? That's correct, yes. And, um, and his father was, um, well, his father who helped him with uh, building some of the earlier models that he made, um, what was his profession, his father? He was, um, I think he was a trained um, um, engineer, sort of mechanic. Oh, okay. um, and um, he, he did a lot of the props for Dad. Yes, and he also, I think, um, we have a, a, a connection with uh, Laurel and Hardy because he did some of the technical stuff did in some really? of the scenes for the, for the cars. I can't remember the, the names of the, the, the two films at the moment offhand, but he, he, he organised the cars and the, the, the films to sort of um, split in half. Oh, I see. I remember. Uh, I've seen that yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was in the film business anyway, his father. Um, well, I suppose not really. He, he just was more on the technical side. But oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. And was brought in to advise on yeah. stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Now, Ray moved to um, England with Charles Schneer, his producer, to make uh, th- The Three Worlds of Gulliver, right? Mm-hmm. I think that was the first film made in England. Um, and um, when he moved, did the, were, the parent, were his parents still alive, your grandparents? My father, uh, my grandfather, <coughs> sorry, um, passed away when I was born in 1964. Okay. And my granny was still alive and lived in Los Angeles So they stayed in L.A.? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so so, so be- prior to the move to England, he was literally work, uh, living with his parents... And and making things in the in, in the, the garage. garage, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, if you think about it, during that time, you know, it was I guess it was just after or during the depression, and you know, for parents to believe 
that your son has this wonderful idea because he went and saw a movie, which was King Kong, that, That's right. that set it all off. When he was 13 years old, I, I believe. I know, yeah. And I, he went and saw it, I don't know, a hundred times or more. I can't yeah. remember. But, and that was his uh, big inspiration, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, and for his parents, I guess when he came back seeing the movie, he must have ranted and raved. And, and they thought, this, and we're they, onto something here. Well, yeah, but, you know, I guess in those days, it's sort of like putting your, your daughter or son on the stage. It just yeah. wasn't a dumb thing it was very risky so to yeah. have that faith to know that your son could possibly do that I think that's tremendous and support him yeah so the they, yeah so they set up a wee studio in the garage oh, and grandpa and grandma helped and, and so supported and slowly you know got him through the things you yeah know? yeah yeah that's remarkable um and um uh, I know he attended the, um, what is it, Centre for Arts in L.A. Uh-huh. and studied for yeah. a few years. He went to acting school, he went to night school, and then um, uh, in his, his early teens, I think he was in the army doing stuff too. So and he, he worked with the Colonel Frank Capra, Frank Capra was, yes. was his film unit, yes, wasn't it? And yes. he, was, he was in the film yeah. unit, that's right. So, uh, so he, came out of the, he came out of the war... And he'd retrieved some undeveloped film, hadn't he, from his time in the army yeah. and, and made some of his own little films as, like, demo tapes. Yeah, there was, yeah, there's a lovely one in the exhibition here that I just get so excited about because somebody said that they had found a clip of film that I think actually, I don't know whether he made it um, in his garden or what, but it's one of his early dinosaurs. Yeah. And um, it's, I think it's just made out of cloth and it's quite chunky. But, oh, my gosh, when you see it animated going, it's walking across the lawn and then you have that famous swish of the tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like I was so excited to see it. I was like, oh, my God, is there more? Is there more? You know, and (laughs) the old film is quite, you know, it's quite shaky because it's so old and it's got lines across it. But it's, you know, it gives you the idea of, of where he's trying to go with that. And then you see the birds flying on these wires through the seed and everything and yeah. I just love it you know I just thought gosh that that's what he's trying to do and and you can just see it there and yeah. it's, you know it was very exciting how old were you when you realized what he did for a living probably golden voyage because yeah. that was the first time I was on the set well that's not true technically I was on set for Guanji but I was so wee yeah I mean there's lovely pictures of me sitting on dad's lap and yeah. and I used to play with the dinosaur Guanji in that yeah um and it was just a play thing because I know on one of the interviews that dad had with somebody they said well wasn't your daughter frightened by all these creatures <laughs> and no they're just her play things you know they were, you know, they were like pets yeah and <laughs> they weren't ever frightening to me did he have any hobbies or anything or was this completely life consuming for him he loved reading he loved <clears throat> the arts he loved film um loved music um and uh, so I guess he's, he just stuck to those but yeah. June you know when I was a child. We used to go to Disneyland a lot and yeah. Magic Mountain and, and, and stuff. And then we used to go and visit a lot of his friends, like, you know, Ray Bradbury. Yes, yeah. They live just sort of the other side of Hollywood and that. Yeah. So, you know, we used to go and spend time with them and hang out and stuff. So, you know, he did have family time and he, he made sure that that family time was very, very precious. I think sometimes he used to write scripts and stuff upstairs or, or do sketches because we found some sketchbooks and stuff later on. He asked me to go to L.A. and go and see if there was anything of interest in the garage. Yeah. Um, I think that was the early 90s or something. And, right. um 
yeah, I went out and I came back with something like 16 boxes or whatever of yeah. of stuff that he'd forgotten about, including yeah. these wonderful little maquettes and um, some of the things from um, the Mother Goose Storytellers, you know, things like um, Hansel and Gretel, you yeah. know, the wee, the, uh, wee models and that. So yeah. it was wonderful. From, and then from the, his early job with George Powell, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, and then we found all the furniture and, you know, and the costumes all made of, of, of Hansel and Gretel were all made by Granny. <laughs> and, you know, and the sets and everything were, were done by Grandpa. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it was a real family thing. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, they used to run those things for educational, for, for, for children in schools and that, for all the Mother Goose stories and that. Yeah. So, um, and it's lovely. You know, you've got Midas, you've got um, Rapunzel, you've got Hansel and Gretel, you've got all the little... All the classic yeah, fairy stories. And that's all his lovely early um, animation. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. And Mother Hubbard and the little dog, you know. And yeah. it's, we found all these wonderful things. So it was like Christmas. and The uh, Ray Harryhausen Foundation, which began its life from these trips to, to these garages and finding all this all this all these pieces right I, th- I think the seed was what I understood from daddy was that he unfortunately through his life saw a lot of his friends like Forry Ackerman and other people lose their collection due to one way or the other yeah. and he didn't want it just being dispersed and and people you know, just it going to nothing. He wanted it to be educational. Mm. And he wanted young folk and young artists to get inspiration and learn from it. So he put this foundation together with Mummy yeah. um, to, to do that so that it could be preservation of his creatures and his artwork and educational so young animators could understand. I mean, now you've got so much technology yeah. Um, and everything's done on iPhones or whatever. But, exactly. you know, at that time, if you wanted to go go back, he wanted you to have that opportunity to see how these old things were done. I was so lucky in my life to be able to see. I remember as a child going up to Daddy's office and seeing his sketches because he had his main desk and then to the side he had an easel. And um, he um, used to be sketching. And I remember one of them was... Um, I think it was a golden voyage. It was a fountain of destiny that he was drawing. And then I saw him doing the griffin scene, all in this beautiful black and white pastels, um, you know, um, colours. And then the next time I went, he'd be starting with this armature. And then before you know it, he seemed to have this griffin on the table. He had this wonderful model that had all these moving joints. And so I had that wonderful experience you saw of it seeing translate. it. Absolutely. And yeah. then to see it moving on the screen. Yeah. It was like, oh my God, this thing's only this big, you know, it's only a hand size. And it's like 10 foot, 20 foot tall on screen, you know, <laughs> running around. So it was, it was a real, real pleasure. But, you know, when Dad retired, he knew that there was a big swing and difference with the CGI and all he sorts knew of it different things. Yeah. And that was fine. He knew that, you know, that you've got to accept change and you've got to go with it. Um, but he had had, a, I think he just got tired. And, and I mean, he, at the end, you know, when with Clash, he, he was consultant to a lot of people doing stuff and advisory yeah. and did lectures and, and, and stuff like that, yeah. which he thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but I think today your people, young folk, it's very hard to have that patience to do one frame at a time. Yeah. They want everything instant. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so, 
And I just wanted just to say thank you to everybody who's listening and all Dad's fans out there, whether you be moviegoers, artists, sculptors or whatever. Um, thank you for keeping my father's memory alive and he would be most humbled by all your you know, wonderful comments through the years and um, coming to see this exhibition. So thank you very much. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you. And now I'm speaking with Alan Friswell, who, um, could I say you're the chief conservator for the Harryhausen Foundation or the only conservator? I think that would be fair to say, yes. Um, so now your, your job is to sort of renovate and repair all Ray's um, artefacts from his life, yeah? Yes, and what an amazing privilege it is to be allowed to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is, it really is. And how did you come to be in this position? Have you got a speciality? Well, working special effects, I've done it since I was 18 years old. And the way that I got to work for Ray, Ray had a, a, a website back in 2019 when he was 89 and there was a posting on there saying that some of the models, like Carly, Talos, Guanji in particular, were in such a bad uh, state of repair that they needed to initiate a programme of restoration because various galleries and exhibitions were asking for the models to go into exhibits, but they couldn't be touched. And so in 2010, they were going to start, as I say, a programme of restoration. And I, I didn't know. I assumed they might have had someone to do this. But these are these moments when you have to do stuff. You have to try <laughs> And they got back to me in 10 minutes. And to my amazement, Ray, I didn't, they said Ray knew who I was. That was seriously crazy. I didn't, I really didn't expect that. Hmm. And they said, well, would I be pleased to speak about this with the, the foundation? And um, I was asked to go to Ray's house, which was kind of brilliant, but terrifying, slightly, slightly terrifying. First of all, I'd met him before, but very, very fleetingly. But this was a real sit down meeting hmm. with him, and it was incredible. And I'd where where had you met him before? Oh, I'd met him at conventions. I'd met right. him specifically at a convention. I I I wrote a letter to him when I was eleven, and my parents said, like, you know, he, he's a very busy man. It's very unlikely he's going to get back. Not because he's not because of you, he's ignorant of you, but because he's obviously getting fan letters all the time. And in two weeks, I I'd put my phone number in, hopefully. And two weeks later, I got a phone call from his wife, Diana. And I'd, sent, I'd put a couple of dinosaur pictures in with the, 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 the letter and she phoned me and said, Ray liked your pictures and if you want to phone him the next week, he was in America at the time, she said, if you want to phone him next week. And she gave me the phone number. So I was 11 years old and I was terrified, absolutely terrified. I didn't know what to say to him, what could I say to him? And my mum kind of goaded me into it. She said, you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. And she got me kind of so riled up. I thought, right, I'm going to do it. And I stormed out into the, the hallway and I phoned him. And he spoke to me for about 25 minutes, half an hour. And I didn't know what to say, but he was so warm. He was so accommodating. And supportive and everything. I told him what I, I, told him what I wanted to do. And he was so, like, encouraging. Mm. He said, and I remember him saying, it was like, incredible. I've, read, I've said this to so many people. He said, and I was 11 years old, so I couldn't believe I was hearing this. He said, always be ready to make mistakes. Always be ready to get it wrong, because that's the nature. He said, never be ready to give up. He said, because that's not what it's about. Mm. He said, it's, what it's about is having a dream and doing everything you can to make it come true. Mm. And he said that to me when I was 11 years old. There's a bit of synchronicity here because uh, when he was, after he'd seen King Kong when he was 13, and then, uh, you know, he got in touch with um, 
Willis O'Brien. That's right. Um, as a young man, and uh, and ended up um, working on Mighty work... Joe Young with him. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So so there's a bit of synchronicity here. I think what happened. Ray was so grateful for that experience exactly. when he was younger, and he, he realised that. It on. If not for that, I'm saying he would he would certainly have done something in his life. But Willis O'Brien was very supportive mm. and very encouraging to him. And so I know these stories from many other people that I know, people who are in, worked on Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, Ghostbusters, Robocop. They said Ray said the same thing to them when they were kids. And he was so, he, he realised he was passing it on. Mm. And he certainly did that to me. He's but, certainly touched, he touched a lot of people in his uh, 90 years, definitely. Well, there's a, a wonderful... Mike Hankin, who's kind of like technically the biographer of Ray, has written these wonderful books called The Master of the Magics, three wonderful books. And he put a thing... He's like rewritten some of this stuff to add new material. One of the things he said was very, very telling, and it's absolutely correct. He said that Ray was like a real-life George Bailey, the character that Jimmy Stewart played in It's a Wonderful Life, that through his life he touched so many other people's lives in such a positive way and created so much cause and effect. So many things that had Ray not been there would not have happened. And so Ray simply living his life how he wanted and doing the things he wanted. But it was such a positive and wonderful thing that he did. And so, yes, absolutely, Ray is a catalyst for so many other people. So many things that have happened since. Good word for it, a catalyst. Now, I understand that there's upwards of about 50,000 objects that have been found from Ray's uh, work in various locations in America and here. Um... And it's how many of those are in, uh, are being used in this present exhibition in Edinburgh? A couple of thousand, maybe? Not even there, that? There is, there is a lot. I mean, there is so, so much of Ray's work. I mean, it's generally, it's generally believed that outside of Walt Disney, Ray's probably got the largest private collection of film memorabilia, although obviously yeah. all related to his own work, mm. that probably exists. I mean, it's serious yeah. because Ray never threw anything away. Yeah. And now we're all grateful for that. Yeah. We're so pleased that Ray kept it all. But it's only a fraction that's being used in this exhibition, it's, it, right? It, it's, it's realistically, unless you have a building the size of the Albert Hall, it's probably the only way you, you can do that. Yeah. You'd have to have a gigantic venue yeah. to put every single item on display. Yeah. And it would be great to do that. I understand some of the objects were or, or models were... Uh, you know, if you touch them, they just fall away into. They just disintegrate. This was the. This was initially the reason why, because uh, I was so lucky. I mean, from 2010 to 2013, I worked for Ray Personal. I mean, I worked with Ray. Mm. I couldn't believe this. It was unbelievable. You know, incredible. So, we had these models. Like Talos was one. Uh, Carly was another. These figures. What happened? It's. I mean, without getting too technical, what mm. happens is latex rubber is an organic material. It comes from a tree. Yeah, and it decays. So it's, bio, it's biodegradable. Mm. So what happens is you have polymer molecules with a chemical element around them, and the chemical element actually dissipates over a period of time. And the usual thing that happens is the molecules drag together and it dries out. Mm. Sometimes they drift apart and it becomes liquid, like sticky. Mm. But usually it's the other way. they come together and it dries out. In the case of uh, Carly, was probably the worst example we've seen because, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't get her out of a box. There's no, no way. I mean, she, to put in an exhibit would be impossible. You couldn't get her out of a box. If she was like, if you imagine a model made out of an OXO cube, if you, if you, if you touch it, 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 it would crumble. The thing about the... Uh, you just reminded me. The thing in the, about the exhibition, which I thought worked really well... Was the uh, was the demonstration of how 
the screens were set up yep. with the actual footage being put on the back screen to show exactly how, how the, the image, imagery has, was built up with three different layers. And um, well, that I was, thought that was fabulous. Well, that was so important to what Ray was doing because in yeah. the early 1950s, Ray was like, nobody could have loved King Kong more than Ray. And the way, the way that Kong was made was very complex because it was the layers of glass paintings mm. with miniature scenery put in between. Yeah. And it worked wonderfully on the screen. It was so... Like it was absolutely incredible looking imagery, but Ray thought, well, I can't do this for low budget. The early nineteen fifties, TV was coming in. He knew how to compete with that, and low budget film producers just could not afford the time and uh-huh. certainly the money. Personnel, you need a whole crew of people to do that kind of thing. So Ray's process, which involved real life locations, actually photography on location or in a set, and then with a split screen to enable the model to be inserted into that. So the model, in effect, was really the only fake element in the whole thing. Yes was quick, but it looked realistic. Yeah. And so Ray was able to do that and convince, like, say, be some 20,000 Fathoms. He was able to do the whole thing with that film, and it made so much money. Mm. And Charles Chenier, come on board, saw that movie and wanted to contact Ray, and from that the whole relationship started yeah. because Chenier knew he had someone, probably at that point, a unique person in the world, yes. to be able to do that kind of work so yes. brilliantly. There was no one else, no. and certainly not using Ray's techniques. Mm. And so, yeah, that process that we in Edinburgh, they're showing that. It's brilliant. And you know, really how works. important that is to Ray's career because yes. that whole process enabled Ray probably to make all the films he did. Any day 
that um, somebody is kind of interviewing us so somebody interviewing Vanessa in that way and uh, Hugh's quite a natural at it isn't he I suppose all those years working in the entertainment industry he's picked up from being interviewed by you know top interviewers across the media he's um he's he's really taken it to it like a duck to water well yeah he told me that this uh, this podcast that he does because he's still touring releasing music but this podcast that he makes is, is purely just for his love of films um he watches a lot of movies and uh, this is really his passion project uh, talking about movies and talking to the people that made those movies so it was great to, to see him set up he had all of his equipment out and he he, he recorded this podcast very professionally uh, at the at the titan of cinema exhibition i actually have a little bit of exclusive audio to add to our chat as well because after his interview with Vanessa I just had to I had to ask him a couple of more personal questions as well about his love of Ray's films and about why he decided to to write a tribute to Ray on his most recent album. Oh let's have a listen. I mean my favourite um, uh, movie is 20,000 20 million miles from earth because I found that that creature I can't remember its name had so many human facets and showed emotions and everything and the way it grew up. Um, and, and I loved that, um, that uh, journey it, was, it went through. Um, and then the, the, the profound sadness that came to it because of the way it had been treated by mankind. Which, and it sort of reminded me a bit of the story of Nosferatu, the vampire, mm-hmm. um, the way that that, that uh, vampire was... Um, was was transformed by by a suffering brought on from the human human being, and I um and I but I was saying to Vanessa that um, my generation we I was a teenager when uh, in the uh, late fifties and uh, well in the sixties, and so my earliest memories of seeing films on TV was was all all his work. So uh, so it's 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 completely embedded in my psyche. From my um, from my early early years, you know, seeing the, these films, so uh, mm-hmm. so it's it's got a special place for anyone in my generation, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in terms of the exhibition, what did you think of seeing all of these creatures so many decades on, still preserved and still alive? Well, it it pinged, you know, memories in 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 your brain. You know, you see, you see, you see the skeleton uh, with the with the shield, and you go, oh, you know, and you suddenly remember sitting down. You suddenly remember sitting down and watching it. You know, when you first watched it, and um, and, um, and seeing the flying saucers from. Uh, that, that was great seeing those. I think that was the first film I saw with flying saucers in it, you know, on TV. Um, 
so it it sparked a lot of a lot of uh, memories, um, and I, I love the way it set up the exhibition. It's uh, I love the way when you walk in, you've got the the, the window with the Kong, Kong looking through. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant! What a great! I mean, that is a brilliant. That was brilliant. I thought because that was so inspirational to Daddy. So that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you performed a, a tribute to Ray on your last album. Yeah, yeah, Monster Ray. You created a monster today. Oh. I remember I was on a train to um, see a friend of mine in Suffolk for New Year's Eve. And um, when I thought of that, you know, I had this bit of music and, uh, you know, in my head. And I remember being on the train and it suddenly went, I went, Ray, you created a monster. I thought, wow, that's great. <laughs> what a great title for a song, Mon- you know, monster. <gasps> And it's really interesting for us because we obviously meet lots of filmmakers and animators who've been inspired by Ray, but it's interesting to meet people from other creative backgrounds. Well, a lot of musicians, there's been a lot of tributes in song to uh, to, uh, Mm -hmm. to your dad. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot. I mean, maybe mine was the most direct in the sense you can tell immediately. Maybe theirs are a bit more subtle than mine, you know, but mine was directly... I mean, the the album that came from Monster, there's songs all about different people on it. There's one about Hedy Lamarr, the most beautiful girl in the world, in Hollywood. Um, So it was an album of tribute songs all about specific individuals, Lou Reed, you know, and stuff. Wow, so you're getting all the backroom gossip and uh, insight there. So um, that's a bit of an exclusive here for us, isn't it, Connor, on the Harryhausen podcast? So uh, well done to you for that. So maybe another Rondo Award. Can you get two Rondo Awards for a, two podcasts in the same year? I'm not sure. Maybe they'll make the exception for us. Yes, I think um, it would be great to uh, great for as many people as possible to to hear um, this interview between that Hugh and Vanessa. And I suppose, like you know, there may be fans of Hugh's work that don't know as much about Ray Harryhausen and vice versa. Um, But I'm sure the Venn diagram of Stranglers fans and Ray Harryhausen fans actually does have a a fairly large overlap. And it was great to speak to uh, a legendary musician uh, about his his love of Ray's work. Um, And yeah, what a a lovely, again, a lovely contact for the foundation, a new new friend. And uh, we look forward to, to hopefully seeing Hugh on the road at some point. He is touring uh, this year in 2022 after many delays, uh, either as part of a solo act or, or supporting uh, supporting other bands. But uh, yes, uh, catch Hugh and uh, when he plays his tribute to Ray Harryhausen, you'll know the words now and you can, you can sing along. Oh, that's fabulous. You know, when I think of the music and Ray Harryhausen, I think of Bernard Herrmann, Miklos Rocher, Lawrence Rosenthal, of course. But now I'll be thinking of the Ramones and, of course, Hugh Cornwall and the Stranglers as well. So something to add to my um, to my musical diet. Connor, thanks for that. Well, if you've enjoyed listening to that, by all means, log on to rayharryhausen.com. We can find our various social media links. Remember to leave a review for the Ray Harryhausen podcast wherever you find it. And uh, until next time, good luck and we'll see you soon. Copyright in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419, 2022. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the Foundation, its trustees or employees. 
For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com, where you can also find our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter links. Thank you.